The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome members of our military who are far from home and joining us over the Internet today, and also new listeners joining us on radio affiliates in Texas, New York, Pennsylvania, California, Massachusetts, Florida, and from coast to coast. Thank you for making us part of your Newsweek. In just a moment, former Secretary General of NATO and Prime Minister of Denmark, Mr. Anders Fogh Rasmussen, will be joining us to talk about NATO's changing role, something both leading presidential candidates talked about during the first debate, and a topic which may not be getting the coverage it should in the mainstream media. But today, we change all of that. We're going to get a clear idea of where NATO stands on the ISIS and Russian threats from none other than the former Secretary General himself. But before Mr. Rasmussen joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Anders Fogh Rasmussen was born in Denmark and is a graduate of the University of Aarhus. Upon graduation, he became a member of the Danish parliament and held numerous government posts before rising to the position of Minister for Taxation in 1987 and three years later, Minister for Economic Affairs in the Conservative Liberal Coalition of Government. Rasmussen served as the Danish negotiator of the Maastricht Treaty, which paved the way for the euro as a unifying currency in Europe. In 1998, he became chairman of the Parliamentary Liberal Party and his fate as a forward-thinking political leader was sealed. In 2001, Rasmussen became the Prime Minister of Denmark, and he stepped down from that position in 2009 to accept the role of Secretary General of NATO. Today, Mr. Rasmussen operates Rasmussen Global, which provides support in the areas of security, energy, transatlantic relations, and economic development, And I would be remiss if I did not add that he has recently become a special advisor to the president of the Ukraine, which has certainly kicked up some controversy in Russia. We'll hear more about that later in today's program. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, former Secretary General of NATO and Prime Minister of Denmark, Mr. Anders Fogh Rasmussen. Thank you for joining us today, Secretary. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure for me. If it's okay with you, I thought we'd start with some of the confusion the two leading presidential candidates have recently cast on NATO's role and then work our way to the threats Europe faces to the east and south. There there seems to be a lot of confusion about why NATO didn't act more aggressively once member countries such as France, Germany, Turkey, Belgium, and the U.S. were attacked by ISIS and ISIS had declared themselves a state with actual territory and an army. So help us understand why Article 5, which states that an attack against one NATO member state is an attack on all members, did not go into effect. Yeah, that's a very good uh, question. But the the answer is also very short, uh, namely that as a point of departure, it is a national responsibility to fight um, uh, terrorism uh, when terrorism takes place uh, in Paris, uh, in London, in Istanbul, or, or wherever it must take place. Um, there is only one example from the history of NATO uh, when uh, NATO invoked Article 5, and that was after 9-11. After 9-11, 
uh, it was declared that we considered the attack uh, on uh, the U.S. an attack on the whole alliance, and this was the first time that NATO actually invoked Article 5. But with so many member states individually being attacked, is this an opportunity for Article 5 to be evoked again? It could be. Uh, and in general, I do believe that uh, uh, NATO should further step up its uh, efforts uh, to combat um, uh, terrorism. Um, uh, we have already been engaged in uh, Afghanistan in the wake of 9-11. So that's a clear example that NATO has already taken up uh, responsibilities in the fight against um, uh, terrorism. We have conducted uh, an anti-terrorism operation in uh, the Mediterranean. Recently, NATO also decided to establish a training mission in Iraq, all with the purpose to combat terrorism. And I think we should continue on that path. Now, there's a, a great debate that's going on amongst experts that NATO, uh, that the reason that NATO uh, does not recognize this as an Article 5 situation may be that it does not recognize ISIS as a formal enemy state. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and or there's a counter argument that there's not likely to be consensus with uh, with sta member states, including uh, com countries such as Turkey. Yeah, well, uh, both <laughs> explanations uh, can be used, but let me remind you that when NATO um, uh, declared after 9-11 uh, that Article 5, that is yes. an attack on the U.S., was an attack on all, um, we didn't uh, uh, consider the attackers as a state. So the fact that it's not a state uh, that attacks a country can't be an excuse not to invoke uh, Article 5. So you might in the future see Article 5 uh, put into force, even if it's just a terrorist organization and not a state uh, that attacks a country. Yes, I, I understand. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about uh, consensus amongst uh, NATO member states. Uh, many of the states which were once part of the Soviet Union have applied for NATO membership long before Putin's recent incursion into the Crimea and Ukraine. Uh, why were they turned down? And in hindsight, if NATO had admitted them, would Putin have taken the recent actions he has? Hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that's also one of the questions that have been widely discussed. In 2008, uh, NATO decided uh, that Georgia and Ukraine will become members of NATO in the future once they uh, fulfill the necessary criteria and provided, of course, they show wish. So we took that decision in April 2008. I still remember the meeting. Uh, President Putin was there, and he left the meeting furiously. Um, and three months later, he sent a very clear message by in the invasion of uh, Georgia. Uh, personally, I do believe that if we at that meeting had taken a concrete step in the direction of future membership, he would have been more hesitant. Uh, to attack uh, uh, Georgia. In concrete terms, at that time, we discussed um, whether we should grant so-called membership action plans uh, to Georgia and Ukraine, which is a step towards membership. There was no agreement within NATO on, on that, so we had to refrain uh, from granting membership action plans. Instead, we issued this statement that in the future they will become members. And Putin reacted very angrily. Yes, well, all that did was seem to incite his anger and emotion and uh, create a justification for the uh, aggression uh, that uh, followed. And it sounds like uh, NATO didn't go far enough in making a concrete statement that they would become members of NATO. 
Yeah, well, we made the statement, but we didn't take action. Yes, yes, I understand. Now, we have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. We'll be back with more from former head of NATO, Anders Bo Rasmussen. You're listening to the Costa Report. In the opening of All Quiet on the Western Front, Eric Maria Remark wrote, This book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will simply try to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. Today, Project Healing Waters offers men and women that have escaped the shells of war the opportunity to heal by teaching our returning veterans to fly fish in some of the most beautiful, tranquil rivers in our country. These natural surroundings have the ability to restore the human spirit, and with your help, Project Healing Waters is able to reach out to thousands of our men and women in the military every year. For information on how you can help, go to projecthealingwaters.org. Please give and give generously to those who have put their lives on the line for you. That's projecthealingwaters.org. Help those who have escaped the shells of war and need your help to come all the way back. As a scientist who works hard to stay on top of current events and trends, I know how easy it is to get caught up in the details of a story and lose sight of the big picture. What is happening to society as a whole? Where are we headed? Why does it feel as if there's greater instability, unrest, and danger in the world? The truth is, very few of us have time to contemplate these questions. And if we're waiting for our leaders or the media to paint a clear picture, well, we may be in for a long wait. That's why I'm urging you to grab a copy of The Watchman's rattle. Do it now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com. Find out why scientists, government leaders, and the heads of the largest corporations in America are waking up to a newly uncovered pattern of human behavior. That's The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com, a bestseller in 26 countries and a book that Richard Branson, Donald Trump, and experts everywhere are calling a must-read. That's The Watchman's Rattle, available at bookstores everywhere and online at RebeccaCosta.com. Care from the Heart is a dedicated and professional home health care agency that's been serving families in the Tri-County Monterey Bay area for over 18 years. We help our clients and their families handle health challenges with determination, love, and humor. When you work with Care from the Heart, we provide assistance with the utmost respect. Your team will consist of nurses, case managers, and home care specialists who will listen and you will design a flexible program to fit your specific needs, either short-term or long-term. You might need help with medication, personal hygiene, meal preparation, transportation, companionship, household chores, or pet care. We can even help you with the dreaded insurance paperwork. If the time has come when you must step into the role of caregiver for a family member, naturally you'll have questions and concerns. Care from the Heart offers classes that provide specific information and skills you'll need to become the positive and supportive influence your family member deserves. And we protect against caregiver burnout by offering periodic respite care for you. Whatever your individual situation, now or in the future, help is available. For a complimentary consultation, call us at 831-476-8316. We can come to you or you are welcome to visit our office in Santa Cruz near Dominican Hospital. Our website is carefromtheheart.net. Hi, I'm Greg. And I'm Marlene. And we're the hosts of Flavors. On KSCO 1080. We're going to be talking about restaurants, cookbooks. Wine and reviews. And all sorts of other things. If you like olive oils, this is the place. So remember to tune in on Sundays at noon. And remember, Flavors Everything. Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is the former Prime Minister of Denmark and Secretary General of NATO, Anders Fogh Rasmussen. 
Now, many historians argue that after the Cold War ended, there was a moment in time when NATO should have created a pathway for Russia to join NATO so that the peace could be preserved. Uh, Europe needed to send a clear signal to Russia that the threat was over. Yet in 1996, NATO seemed to do the opposite by building up forces in the east, and that seemed to start a ball rolling in the wrong direction. Um, well, it was discussed uh, after the Soviet Union uh, broke up at the beginning of the 90s whether the new uh, Russian Federation should become a member of uh, NATO. And even uh, President Putin uh, indicated uh, an interest in that. But we never uh, received an uh, applicants uh, from, uh, from Russia. So... It has never, uh, in reality, been discussed. But I, I disagree that we have tried to encircle uh, Russia. Uh, on the contrary, we have reached out to Russia on several occasions. We did that in 1997 when we adopted a so-called uh, NATO-Russia founding act. Uh, one of the more visible initiatives uh, was... Um, uh, to uh, let Russia establish an embassy or permanent representation in the midst of NATO headquarters uh, in, in Brussels. That was clearly an outrage. Next step was in 2002, uh, when we established something very special, namely a NATO-Russia Council, uh, which meets on a regular basis uh, for consultations and uh, joint decisions. In 2010, we decided to develop a true strategic partnership uh, with uh, Russia. Uh, so I do believe that we have done a lot uh, to try to include Russia uh, in our security architecture. I also think we had an interracial obligation uh, to try uh, to create a new security environment uh, in Europe and create a Europe all free and at peace. Is Putin then, is he wrong when he says the West claimed the Cold War was over and said they welcomed Russia to the modern world, yet at the same time they kept their weapons aimed at Russia, so the mistrust didn't end with the Cold War? I mean, is there trust if you have a gun to someone's head? <laughs> yeah, but we didn't. Um, uh, we didn't uh, keep a gun against uh, 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 Russia. Um, if Russia is threatened, it's definitely not from the West. Not one single NATO ally has any idea of uh, attacking uh, Russia. If Russia is threatened, it's from the South. It's from Islamist terrorists in Caucasus, for instance. Uh, so I, I do believe that we, we have common interests uh, with uh, Russia, and Russia should focus on real security problems and not an artificial enemy, an enemy that doesn't uh, exist. Yes, I, I agree. So let's talk about the South for a minute. Is that the way to get relations back on track with Russia, by by coming together in the way that I think there was an announcement today that Turkey and Russia will be working together on the problem in Syria? Well, yes, uh, but uh, that will take uh, more realism from the Russian side. Uh, take, for instance, uh, Syria. The fact that uh, President Putin uh, launched a reckless military operation in uh, Syria has both worsened and prolonged the conflict in Syria. You can't both defend Assad and hope for a long-term sustainable and peaceful solution to the conflict in Syria. So what Putin did was to exploit the vacuum left behind by uh, the U.S. and the West. Um, uh, and that's exactly what has happened. Uh, we know from experience that when the U.S. retreats, the U.S. will leave behind the vacuum and the vacuum will be uh, filled by the bad guys. And that's also the reason why I have published a, a new book, uh, called The Will to Lead. It's about America's indispensable role in the global fight 
for freedom. Because what we do need is determined American global leadership. We need the U.S. as the world's policeman. I could not agree with you more that when the U.S. pulls out of these conflicts, we do leave a vacuum, and that that vacuum, another word for that vacuum, is opportunity uh, for extremist groups. But as you know, the U.S. is facing a $20 trillion deficit, and uh, one of the leading presidential candidates has raised the issue that NATO countries are enjoying U.S. Produ- uh, protection and other mm-hmm. countries outside of NATO, but not contributing their fair share. I believe in NATO, uh, part of the commitment of becoming a NATO member is to contribute 2% of, the, of your country's GDP for that protection. Can you speak to that for a moment, the fact that uh, the U.S. pulls out fundamentally because they don't have the economic bandwidth to be able to maintain forces and, uh, and remain in those countries? Yeah, first of all, I would like to stress that I consider it in U.S. self-interest to actually act as the world's policeman. But I will revert to that issue and answer your questions uh, right away because um, I am very much concerned about the statements uh, from uh, Mr. Trump uh, which uh, have uh, raised doubts about the American commitment to defending uh, their fellow allies uh, within um, uh, NATO. Uh, he has made such defense dependent on their economic contribution to our alliance. And well, I agree with all Americans uh, that the Europeans should pay more. And they will in the future, thanks to Putin, actually. Uh, in 2014, all 28 NATO allies decided that within the next decade, they will invest at least 2% of GDP Uh, on defense. And uh, they have started already in 2016. The Europeans uh, pay much more uh, for uh, or invest much more in defense than in 2015. So in that respect, it's an open door. Uh, And um, uh, therefore, uh, the conclusion is that the doubt about American commitment will tempt Mr. Putin to test the resolve of our alliance. But still, it is in America's self-interest to actually act as the world's policeman. Now, we have about a minute before we have to go to break. I know that you have made the point that Central Europe's military spending is up 13% over the last year. But at the same time, US has, the U.S. has committed to quadruple its defense budget for Europe in 2017. And I want uh, when we come back from the break, I want to ask you if that doesn't play into the argument that the U.S. is spending too much in Europe. We'll take go ahead and take our break, uh, but we'll be right back to speak to Anders Foe Rasmussen, former head of NATO. You're listening to the Costa Report. Biodiversity is the very fabric of our lives. It is everything around us, all of nature. But human impact is diminishing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And because of that, The intricate web of biodiversity is unraveling in ways we don't fully understand, and our world is becoming less resilient. That's why we are biodiversity advocates. We're the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation. Guided by the greatest living naturalist, E.O. Wilson, we champion research and education that expands our understanding of biodiversity and informs worldwide conservation efforts. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is building a movement of environmental stewards like you who share our sense of responsibility for the living world that is our home. Join us in our quest to protect biodiversity, the fabric of our lives. Visit eowilsonfoundation.org. Huzzah! Huzzah! 
The Northern California Renaissance Fair is back, full of revelry and cheer. Dance the night away at our Celtic Rock Concert Series, Saturdays at 6 p.m., free with fair admission. Headliners include The Angry Bryans, O'Craven, The Wicked Tinkers, Whiskey and Women, and Tempest. Come one, come all. Children 12 and under are free every weekend. For promotions and discounts, visit NorCalRenFair.com. Find your fantasy. Paid for by No NZ. Stop the oil and gas shutdown. Major funding by Era Energy LLC and Chevron Corporation. Sometimes things aren't quite what they appear to be at first glance. That's the case with Measure Z, the energy shutdown measure on Monterey's November ballot. Monterey County has been safely producing oil under the most stringent environmental regulations in the world for nearly 70 years. But now a deceptive ballot measure could pull the plug on our long history of safe energy production. Experts say we'll lose nearly 1,000 good-paying jobs in Monterey, 1,000 people in the county out of work, and Measure Z will cause the county to lose nearly $200 million in economic output and we'll lose millions more in tax revenue for already underfunded local services, like our police and fire departments and our overcrowded schools. That's why the Monterey County Farm Bureau, the Monterey County Deputy Sheriff's Association, and the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce of the Central Coast have all come together to urge you to vote no on the energy shutdown measure in November. Reminder to Remington Rifle Owners. Owners of certain Remington rifles should take notice of a proposed nationwide class action settlement. The plaintiffs claim that the trigger mechanism of certain bolt-action rifles, such as the Remington Model 700, and certain other models are defectively designed and can result in firing without a trigger pull. Remington denies these allegations, but to serve its valued customers may replace these new triggers for no charge with a brand new Xmark Pro trigger or other trigger mechanism. Safety has always been a priority for Remington. You may opt out or object by November 18. To participate or learn more, visit Remington Firearms Class Action Settlement.com or call 1 800 876 5940. That's 1 800 876 5940. 1 800 876 5940. Visit Remington Firearms Class Action Settlement.com or call 1 800 876 5940. What blinding flash of brilliance is on Coast to Coast AM tonight? What really happens when you lose your wallet and then your phone? I'm George Norrie, and my old colleague Ian Punnett checks in to tell us about what happened to him. Followed later by Linda Moulton Howe and stories of high strangeness right here on Coast to Coast AM. Coast to Coast AM, sunscreen not required. Listen to Coast to Coast tonight, beginning at 10 p.m. on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is former Secretary General of NATO, Mr. Anders Foe Rasmussen. And before the break, I mentioned that the U.S. has made a commitment to quadruple its defense budget in Europe, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on that. Yeah, first of all, uh, of course, we appreciate a stronger European engagement from uh, the American side. I think. After the so-called pivot to Asia uh, and withdrawal of some American troops uh, from uh, Europe, uh, President Putin saw an opportunity to actually attack Ukraine, uh, and he didn't expect any serious consequences because uh, the U.S. had signaled uh, this retreat uh, from uh, Europe. So we appreciate uh, all the initiatives from the United States to engage more uh, in Europe. Now, clearly, you have expressed concerns about any crack in the uh, perceived solidarity of NATO and also amongst EU countries in general. So how does Brexit affect that? Well, (laughs) Brexit... um, will hurt both the UK and uh, the European Union. It will hurt the UK economically. It will hurt the UK because they will lose uh, influence, among other things, on trade deals. 
It will hurt the European Union economically because the UK has been a main contributor to um, uh, the budget and it will hurt the European Union because uh, the UK has represented an outward-looking global um, uh, uh, perspective uh, on uh, the European policy, we will lack that now, and um, uh, consequently, uh, the European Union won't play any significant role on the global states, and the European Union cannot assist uh, the United States in the role as the world's policeman. Um, uh, so, there are serious consequences. It sounds to me, uh, in reading many of your speeches and your positions, that the solidarity in Europe, both economically and politically, and the the leadership of the U.S. is what keeps Putin in check. Do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, my my point is is very simple. After the Second World War, President Truman. Um, decided uh, to create a rules-based world order uh, built on certain institutions uh, like uh, the UN, uh, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the World Trade uh, Organization. And actually, uh, because of that, we have experienced an unprecedented um, era of uh, peace and uh, prosperity. Now... Russia is challenging that rules-based uh, order. Uh, and uh, Truman also strongly believed that it was in America's self-interest to ensure uh, a friendly Europe. And we know that if the U.S. were to withdraw uh, from uh, Europe, then uh, President Putin would advance uh, in Europe, because the European countries are divided on how to approach uh, Putin. Uh, the Germans and the French tend to accommodate uh, Russian concerns. Uh, the UK, the Scandinavian countries, the Eastern Europeans uh, tend to have a tough uh, stance. But that divide will weaken Europe. So you have a weak and leaderless uh, Europe. Putin will advance, and soon the U.S. would see that they have a hostile uh, force on the eastern shore of the Atlantic, and that would definitely not be in American interest. So it must not come to uh, as any surprise to you that Putin was definitely in favor of Brexit, and he has endorsed candidate Trump. No, <laughs> I'm uh, not surprised. Uh, it's uh, it's expected. I mean, uh, he endorsed uh, or he supported in in uh, he supports, I would say, in different ways, uh, organizations and part political parties that uh, will create a split uh, within our uh, alliance. Not only was he in favor of Brexit, but we do know that he has also financed directly uh, Le Pen's uh, party, Bonne National, uh, in uh, France. And uh, in different ways, the Kremlin also supports financially movements and political parties in other countries so that populist nationalists on both left and the right side of the political spectrum can gain uh, a foothold uh, that will create a split uh, within the Western Alliance. Now, there is one area, uh, Mr. Rasmussen, where you do seem to agree with candidate Trump, uh, and that's uh, in the issue of immigration, uh, which you dealt with while you were prime minister of Denmark. You set uh, limits on immigration of asylum seekers, arranged marriages, and other strategies that people were using to get into Denmark. 
And at this point, NATO is focused on political diplomacy and a strong unified military defense. But you point out that we've entered an era of hybrid wars where threats have to be fought on a number of fronts at one time. So my question to you is, does NATO have a a role to play in uh, looking at immigration, the threat of immigration? No, uh, in a European context, I would say uh, it's more a question for uh, the European Union. And I agree uh, that we need profound reforms to handle the refugee crisis. Actually, the refugee and immigrant crisis uh, threatens to uh, dissolve uh, the European Union. Um, it's, It's a major crisis that can only be solved if you... Uh, carry through comprehensive reforms, for instance, of the welfare system. In short, you should make it easier to get a job and more difficult to get uh, handouts uh, from uh, the government, more difficult to get welfare benefits. On top of that, you should also strengthen the external border control because I do believe that it is Uh, of utmost economic importance to keep the free movement of labor and capital uh, enterprises uh, between the European countries. But you cannot uphold the free movement internally if people do not trust the external border control. So in very concrete terms, I have suggested to create an EU external border control, a straight effective border control so that in exchange we can uphold free movement internally in the EU. Yes, intra-country. You're talking about within the countries in the EU, there would be free movement, but to come into any one of those countries, there would be more strict vetting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I understand that. What do you say to people who feel the immigration threat in Europe and the formation of these radicalized communities inside countries like France and Brussels represent a far danger, greater danger than uh, any uh, physical attack from Russia or from countries in the South? Uh, yeah, I have no doubt that uh, one of the major threats against our security right now uh, comes from uh, these uh, so-called foreign fighters uh, yes. that leave our countries and they get radicalized uh, in uh, Syria, Iraq, and uh, elsewhere. And yes, they unfortunately, we have to take a, a f- our final intermission, but to hold that thought. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So what is it about your Brut Cuvée that beat all the other competitors around the world? We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top-tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best you Best Sparkling Wine Award. We fared really well overall. We had three wines win best of class, which was great. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea, or find us online at caracciolicellars.com, or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, Big Data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models 
developing new roles and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. Bring the entire family to Jacob's Heart's Kidrageous Celebrations in September. Entertainment, life-size foosball, characters, bounce houses, skate demo, great food, and more. Sunday, October 2nd from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Kidrageous Baby Matthews Golden Gallop at the Monterey State Historic Park and Custom House Plaza. For more information, visit jacobsheart.org or facebook.com forward slash jacobsheart. All proceeds support local children with cancer. Hello, Dave Michaels here, SEMD with Longevity. Now, I know you probably have a lot of questions about Longevity. I'm going to give you a number that I want you to call. That number is 831-218-5726. That's 831-218-5726. I want you to call that number, leave a message, and we'll get back to you with the answer. Whether it's about the Healthy Start Pack, Beyond Tangy Tangerine, becoming a CEO, or finding a distributor in your area. 831-218-5726. That's 831-218-5726. Feel free to leave a text as well. 831-218-5726. If you have any questions about Longevity, give that number a call. Leave a brief message and we will get back to you with the answer. If you want to place an order, call that number. If you want to become a distributor, call that number. If you want to become a CEO, call that number. 831-218-5726. 218-5726. Dave Michaels, SEMD, with Longevity. Thank you. Hi, Jacoby here, host of Raising the Standards, right here on KFCO Saturdays, 5 p.m. Tune in and join me, Rachel, my co-host, our buddy Rick, and some of the most interesting folks in the world as we chat and play the best music on the planet. Now remember, if at some point during the program you're not offended, well, you're just not listening. Raising the Standards, Saturdays here on KSEO. Don't miss Raising the Standards with Mike Jacoby, Rick, and Rachel. Saturdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Anders Foe Rasmussen, and I apologize for having to take that break. It's one of the great inconveniences of having hard network breaks, but I thank you for your patience. So I believe you were just beginning to speak about radicalized individuals and communities embedded within European countries and how we can deal with that. Yeah, uh, because I can consider it uh, one of the most dangerous uh, threats uh, we do have. We know that many uh, young people have gone to Syria and Iraq and they return to their home country very radicalized and they constitute uh, a continuous threat uh, against our societies. I think, first and foremost, it's uh, a task for our law enforcement authorities, but we could also do more within NATO, for instance, uh, to share intelligence so that we can follow uh, these uh, people and prevent uh, their terror acts. In addition to following these radicalized communities, a big part of it is looking at Uh, how they communicate over the Internet, as well as their uh, potential ability to perform cyber attacks uh, on various countries. Where does NATO stand on cyber attacks? We have done a lot uh, within NATO to strengthen uh, cyber uh, security, both NATO, uh, NATO's own networks. They're well protected. We... uh, experience uh, numerous attacks against NATO networks each and every day. Uh, We know quite well that both the Russians, the Chinese and others are very interested in our activities, but so far they have not compromised uh, the NATO systems. But we are also more and more focused on cybersecurity in member states because we all integrated in network and the whole 
network isn't stronger protected than the weakest link. So to improve cybersecurity, we have uh, started education, training, exercises um, uh, to improve uh, the national cybersecurity. And finally, we have also established a very rapid reaction team that can be deployed uh, to and help an individual ally if they might be attacked. And this is not just theory. In 2007, for instance, Estonia was uh, paralyzed by a major uh, terrorist attack. Uh, Most people suspected that it was originated uh, in Moscow, but uh, anyway, whoever it was, uh, it, we learned a lot from that. And since then, we have really stepped up our efforts uh, within cybersecurity. Yes, they completely shut down their infrastructure there for a, a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I do not know the answer to this. Uh, can a country evoke Article 5 based on a serious cyber attack? Yeah, they can. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a very good question. Uh, well, certainly at the time uh, that NATO was formed, no one was thinking about uh, non-physical mm-hmm. attacks. Exactly. And we took a very important step in that direction uh, on um, uh, the NATO summit in September 2014. We decided that uh, cybersecurity is now part of NATO's collective security. And that was a very important step because it means that if a NATO ally is uh, attacked uh, through the internet uh, or via cyberspace, uh, we can invoke Article 5 if we so wish. Uh, and any uh, member state can call uh, the North Atlantic Council, as it's called. Uh, the NATO Council to convene and make that decision. Wow, I I was not aware of that. Uh, Thank you for clarifying that, uh, which basically means Estonia at that point in time uh, could have uh, asked for uh, NATO to convene. Absolutely. So that's very interesting. Yeah, it is. uh, And it was a very important step uh, in the history of NATO. Yes, well, this gets back to that hybrid war definition. What is a hybrid war? Hybrid war is a mix of conventional warfare and uh, non-conventional warfare. Conventional warfare is, of course, to use your conventional forces, uh, your uh, ordinary troops, your uh, tanks and armored vehicles, etc. But the unconventional warfare in this context might be sophisticated disinformation, for instance. And we saw that exercise by Russia when they occupied uh, Crimea in, in Ukraine. Uh, they sent in these uh, small green men um, and uh, initiated uh, disinformation uh, campaigns. Um, so... For instance, uh, we could expect such uh, hybrid warfare uh, to be uh, directed against uh, Estonia or Latvia because these countries have uh, major Russian-speaking communities. And uh, Mr. Putin has uh, uh, issued uh, a doctrine according to which Russia preserves the right to intervene in other countries if it is to protect what he considers the interest uh, of uh, Russian-speaking communities. Yes, yes. Uh, Now, we are just about out of time. Uh, Do you have a website or an email address where listeners today can go to keep track of your writing and your work? Uh, Yes, indeed. Um, uh, I have a website uh, where www. Uh, dot, in one word, dot com. 
Yes, Thank that's, you. You that's rasmussenglobal.com. And I'm afraid that is all the time we have today. Boy, did it fly by. Uh, before we say goodbye, I'd like to thank you for your leadership at NATO and for taking time to be with us today. Thank you, Secretary Rasmussen. I hope people will buy my book, The Will to Lead. Thank they you. will. They will buy it. We're going to talk about it on the next hour. If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or comment to make about our interview with Anders Foe Rasmussen, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Again, the book's title is The Will to Lead, and it is available on Amazon.com. What do you think NATO's role in combating ISIS in Russia should be? Is it possible to create a NATO-like organization in the Middle East? And is the U.S. spending too much treasure protecting other democracies. What do you think? Send your comments to me on our contact page at RebeccaCosta.com. I'd love to hear from you. And if you missed the full interview with Secretary Rasmussen, keep in mind you can download any previous episode of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. And if you haven't yet visited our website, we'll do that right now because not only will you find videos, blogs, and other information you won't get from the main mainstream media. It's also where you will find reviews of books like The Will to Lead and The Watchman's Rattle My Book. Uh, Reviews from familiar names like Richard Branson, Trudy Styler, Edward Wilson, and yes, even Donald Trump, who uh, gave my book a glowing review, even though he made very clear that uh, we had an honest disagreement about climate change. (laughs) So be sure to check our bookstore out because I don't think you'll find uh, as good a book list in the entire country. Uh, We list the books of all of our guests. And again, uh, Secretary Rasmussen's book book title is The Will to Lead. It is all about America's role in the world and uh, the kind of instability that is created when America withdraws from the world. I think you'll find it a phenomenal read from someone who certainly has the big picture in mind as the head of NATO. Next week, Democrat turned Republican and former Senator of Minnesota, Norman Coleman's going to join us to weigh in on the presidential election and explain what he did to build jobs in his state. That's Norman Coleman next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.